Hello, and welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source for unique jewelry and arriving trends to stay ahead of the fashion curve. I'm your host and jewelry guide, Brenna Pakes. As a graduate gemologist from the Gemological Institute of America with a degree in geology, I've been a consultant in the private retail sector for many years. Jewelry Navigator combines the intrigue of travel and exciting destinations from when I enjoyed an intermittent career as a flight attendant, now offering a new kind of departure lounge that guides you with insider tips on how to shop for, design, and care for your jewelry with confidence. You'll hear what inspires the jewelers and designers I feature to create outside the jewelry box with jewelry that complements your unique style and interests. To keep updated on weekly discoveries, subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator passport at jewelrynavigator.com. You can find show notes and weekly features here as well, and find daily departures for jewelry inspiration on Instagram and Facebook as well at Jewelry Navigator. Welcome aboard. I'm so glad you decided to join us. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome to episode number five of the Jewelry Navigator podcast. Today we'll be demystifying diamonds with the help from industry insider Mark Knobloch of AKI Diamonds. In the last episode, we dispelled four common myths and misconceptions that make diamonds mysterious and sometimes confusing to shop for. But today we continue with how what you don't know about diamonds could become expensive mistakes. We visit with a third generation diamond specialist who provides diamonds to stores, jewelers, and designers from his office in New York's Diamond District. Mark Knobloch, with 30 years in the diamond industry and vice president of Aaron Knobloch Incorporated, instills reason to shop with confidence for anyone preparing to purchase or upgrade a diamond and explains why they are still the go-to gemstone to stand the test of time for all generations. Listen to find out what you need to know about diamond certificates, what their real purpose is, how to choose the right diamond, and how the Kimberly process safeguards the industry's supply of diamonds against questionable sources and intent. This is actually part one of two podcasts. There was so much great information that Mark shared with me that I split it up into two separate episodes. So next week, we'll continue with the conclusion from today's episode, Um, but I leave you hanging a little bit, so you'll just have to come back next week to hear the rest of the interview with Mark. I like to keep the episodes between 30 and 35 minutes just so that there's really good information in a short, packed period of time. That goes without saying, I'm so grateful that you're listening. Thank you so much. And if you really want to be nice, I'd love it if you left a review in iTunes. Thanks again so much for listening and enjoy the episode. I'm the Vice President of New York City-based diamond wholesaler Aaron Noblock Incorporated. Aaron Noblock um, was my grandfather. He started the firm in 1950, and I am the third generation with almost 30 years of experience in the wholesale diamond and wholesale diamond jewelry 
uh, market here in New York City. And we supply okay. other wholesalers, we supply stores, and we supply jewelry designers. Okay, so, and that's uh, a bit of a background on me. So, um, we carry diamonds, as you know, small diamonds, large diamonds, primarily in the GIA D to Z color range, mm-hmm. and it, the, the clarity range runs the gamut from flawless all the way down to the lowest clarities of I3, basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. You mentioned GIA, and that's something that we'll touch on a little bit more in a few minutes. But do you only carry GIA certified diamonds, or do you carry other ones as well? Most of what we carry that is certified is um, certified by the Gemological Institute of America uh, simply because that is accepted in the industry as being the most major lab uh, out there. Um, They are conveniently located to us. They're less than a block away from us. And um, most of the diamonds are certified through that laboratory. Um, We do have some certified by EGL, which is the European Gem Lab. Um, But most, again, are, um, if they are certified, because not all the diamonds are certified, um, if they're certified, it's by the GIA. Okay. So what if a stone is not certified? How, How do you, is it less valuable than one that is certified? It's not less valuable. Um, There are practical considerations to certifying diamonds. For example, we carry diamonds that are so small that are used for, example, like for uh, halo settings you might see uh, on many popular rings these days, the small round diamonds. Mm -hmm. They're simply too small to really certify. It can be done, but there's a practical consideration with cost and time because when you certify a diamond, you are at the mercy of the turnaround time of the lab. So you release the diamond to the lab. Once they have the diamond for certification, you cannot get it back till they have certified it. And if they are working, for example, at the busiest time I remember, the lab was on a five-week turnaround. So you would not have access to the diamond for at least five weeks. Uh, the other okay. thing is the cost consideration. It does cost money to certify diamonds. And there are some diamonds that just don't need... Uh, Certificates. Uh, and the way certificates start out, and it could be a long explanation, but in short, in the old days, as we'll say, um, one person could think a diamond looked of a certain color, certain clarity, and that could be like the buyer, for example. He could say, I think this diamond is this color and that clarity. Um, the person selling it might think otherwise, and the two of them would have a discussion. Um, the lab report came in sort of as a tiebreaker. It was a, a document that uh, talked about the diamond's color, clarity, measurements, etc. But it was like the tiebreaker. So, with a, with the presence of a certificate, didn't matter what one person thought a diamond was, color and clarity wise, and what the other one thought. Here was a lab certificate that said what it was, and people placed a lot of um, importance in that document as they do today. It also helps when you have 
two different diamonds, three different diamonds, four different diamonds, whatever, that are similar, the document, the GIA certificate, will lay out um, uh, a clarity plot, if you will, of the um, of the inclusions. In, in the trade, we don't like to say flaws because that is really a negative connotation for something that's naturally occurring, like fingerprints. Fingerprints aren't on a person's finger aren't considered flaws. They're uh, an identification characteristic. So that's what we call inclusions or, or identification characteristics. So the, the certificates will have a plot of these identification characteristics. So you can have two diamonds of the same weight, color clarity. Measurements might even be close. But you could look at the diamond under the 10 power magnification loop and see the plot compared to what's on the document and then pretty much readily identify which diamond is which. It's helpful. Um, because diamonds are so complicated, people latched on to certificates as being um, something, yes, that measures uh, characteristics of the diamond and whatnot. But my, um, my concern is that people people in the trade and, and especially the, the shoppers place so much importance on the numbers and we'll go into that later. They place importance mm-hmm. on the numbers of the angles of the facets and measurements and, and we'll talk about that more after so please you know, remind me to bring that up again and it comes into play okay. in some of our other questions. Mm. Okay, great. When I've helped people purchase diamonds it depends on what's most important to them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the diamond is most important. Sometimes the setting is. And then when we focus on the diamond, I have to explain to them, you can sacrifice one of the characteristics to get what you want. Just mm-hmm. be smart about the one that you're sacrificing. So mm-hmm. the four characteristics, cut, color, clarity, and carat weight, which one do you think is probably the easiest to to negotiate the uh, one I would say is and when you say negotiate means meaning the one that's easiest to sort of overlook yes mm-hmm. okay um, well it's a, it's, a, it's a tough question because there are budget considerations but I would have to say clarity that is because there are enough clarity uh, grades that require a person to use magnification to be able to see the inclusion that's in the diamond so if somebody has a, uh, and most people do, somebody has a, a budget consideration, they don't need to necessarily, necessarily go to such a high clarity range. They can actually accept a lower clarity range to get the, the price down and whatnot. And I say that also because it's color that the unaided eye, and the naked eye or the eye without magnification sees. So if it was up to me, I would personally rather go for a higher color, I'd rather spend my, my money on getting a higher color, which is actually less colorless as you go up the GIA color scale towards D, um, and lower the clarity. Because unless you go to the lowest level of clar- levels of clarity, um, I1 and below, you need, by definition, a uh, magnifying loop to be able to look into the diamond and see uh, the inclusions without the magnification you will not be able to see with your unaided naked eye the inclusions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know if, if that makes sense, but uh, again, wouldn't want to lower the, the color because that you don't need the loop to see. You, can, you need the loop to, to assess it accurately in some cases and to compare the diamonds, but as far as wearing it in jewelry, 
the eye will readily see color or, or lack of color, color most commonly being yellow. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I have to agree with you on the clarity because there are a lot of really nice stones that have lower clarity grades, mm-hmm. but everything else is is perfect. The um, the color might be within the near colorless range, and the the cut is an excellent cut grade. Mm-hmm. So, to sacrifice on on the clarity, that's a lot of times that's what I advise people to do, so mm-hmm. that they can get they can get the most for their money without without noticing the difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Most definitely. So it does help people. To, to get the diamond of their dreams. And then, of course, after that would be a carat weight, but that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I always understood, or it was kind of um, not an unspoken thing, but maybe it's just sort of like a diamond <laughs> urban legend that the larger the diamond, the more lenient, the grade is, especially the clarity grade. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Is that true or is it not true? Um, no, I do not think it is true because I think that um, every diamond is looked at equally as uh, stringently, if you will. Basically, a diamond, regardless of whether it's a larger stone like a 10 character or a one-pointer, which a carat is made up of 100 points, so a point is a hundredth of a carat. So whether the round diamond, let's use that shape as an example, whether it's a one-pointer or a 10 character, both diamonds basically have the same number of facets. People are usually amazed to hear the 57 facets, etc., etc. So there's really no difference except the drastic difference in size, if you will. So that being said, Labs don't cut any sort of um, favors to one size um, or another. It may be easier to assess a larger diamond, um, and they don't really, mm-hmm. I don't believe they do grade one-pointers. I don't think that, um, well, they may, but I, I don't, for the practical considerations we discussed, I don't think that it's wise but um, or necessary. But... Um, no, the, the larger diamonds don't get any more leniency than smaller and vice versa. Um, they need to accurately assess a diamond, and each diamond has to be assessed basically uh, on all the characteristics that are presented on the certificate measurements, the weight, um, the, the height of the, the crown, depth of the pavilion, and other things like that. So um, the larger diamonds, sure, might have more notoriety because of their value and and then the reduced chance of finding the rough diamonds necessary in the ground to cut such a larger diamond. But when it uh, comes to the lab, I would have to say that they're equally equally as stringent in grading all sizes and, uh, and shapes. Mm-hmm. They do okay. have standards they need to maintain. Right. Mm-hmm. For people shopping for, for their first time for an engagement ring or even upgrading their current stone, are there specific characteristics that you would recommend them to look for when shopping and going to different stores? Are there a few red flags that they should watch for? Uh, As far as uh, when you say characteristics, you mean gemological characteristics like table size or 
pavilion depth, things like that? Yeah, let's let's talk about that first, and then also as far as choosing a jeweler, say if they don't have a jeweler that they are familiar with, how would someone go about, I guess, qualifying someone to, to work with? And Well, of course, especially luckily these days with checking up people, the quality of service, product, honesty, et cetera, that could be done online. But I would say word of mouth. Um, it's also a bit of gut instinct. Um, you get a sense of, of the quality of people when you talk with them. A, a trustworthy person should be willing to listen to your questions, not be, not be overly anxious to push a certain size or uh, shape, etc. They really should work with you to help you understand what you're looking to purchase. This is a big purchase and it means a lot, but they should work with you and be patient. And um, people get a sense of that as well. But also established businesses do have uh, a client base in the town and chances are somebody will know somebody directly who's purchased from a store or know somebody who knows somebody, etc. But it's a, it's a, it's a feeling. Um, it's a complicated uh, product, certainly. Um, and we could spend hours on this, but basically, uh, I would say gut instinct. Um, and um, before somebody goes into a store, they should know what budget um, they they need to stay within that they're comfortable with, because they are they are the boss of the transaction, not the store or the merchant mm-hmm. or whomever. Um, they um, need to just go in with um, with those things set in their mind, budget um, kind of ring, and, and stick to that as well. Certainly should be open to to hearing uh, options and whatnot, but um, they need to, to stay true to what they what they want, what they prefer, uh, etc. But that could also go out the window because they might see a shape, discover a shape thanks to the merchant that they didn't know existed or they had never seen before in person. And that's fine as well. But usually the thing that remains constant within people's minds or varies a little bit is budget. So people need to be mm-hmm. comfortable in the wallet. Um, they also need to not be pushed to, some, to like something that they may not like. Um, they know what they like. People know the best. And, and as far as what characteristics they should basically uh, they should look towards, they should basically look at a diamond. And the one that's prettiest to them, and that fits into their budget, is the one that they should buy. There are a lot of uh, potential ways to look at a a diamond. There are a lot of different characteristics and measurements. There's uh, the largest flat facet on the top of a round diamond, for example, is the table. There are larger table sizes and there are smaller table sizes. And in this day and age with the Internet, information is a great thing, I agree. But the problem uh, with all the information is that, A, a diamond really should be seen in person to be accurately assessed. Um, the other thing is people who are not in the trade just don't have the experience to know um, how things interact. And, and people are surprised, in fact, that people in the trade who know what different attributes mean still need to see a diamond in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I People will, will call me and try to sell me diamonds over the phone, and they'll say, well, doesn't that sound great? Or, look, I emailed you the certificate copy. What do you think of the diamond? And I always say the same thing is, please let me see the diamond. I need to see the diamond because there are measurements for uh, facets, 
angles and things. And A, it's very confusing. B, it's tough to explain. C, people do research online. They don't know who wrote the information that they're reading online. So mm. an example I give is take an actor who has no medical experience whatsoever. If he's a good enough actor, you give him a script to read like a doctor, and he'll be very convincing. Willingly or unwillingly, people writing information about diamonds online may or may not understand fully about diamonds and whatnot and what is important and what isn't. Um, and people who are reading this don't know how much they know. They may not know themselves, probably not, what's important. And the other thing is that I have seen uh, measurements, for example, that are, quote, unquote, out of range of what they should be. Uh, mm-hmm. Or the certificate has been not an people say uh, um, ideal certificate. I don't mean ideal cut, but like the, the people will say, say many times. I'll talk to the stores I sell, and they'll say they got a call from somebody looking for the ideal combination of cut and all clarity and etc. and all different things. There is no perfect combination because basically I have seen certificates that, that in description, if you read them. The diamond sounds awful. It sounds ugly. And you see the diamond, and it's beautiful. Then again, mm-hmm. I've seen certificates that the table size is a 57 table, and every other measurement sounds great, and all the things. And then you look at the diamond, and you can't believe that you're looking at the diamond that's re- represented in, by the report. They're just such a disparity. Why does that happen? Because, and I know I'm jumping around, but because basically, who, who is the GIA? It's people. People with diamond grading experience, etc. I'm a diamond wholesaler, but if I was to give in a resume, go for a job interview, and get a job, I am the GIA. So basically, it's humans grading diamonds, and people are human. They make mistakes. So there are times where there are reports that um, maybe somebody was tired when they were grading a diamond. They didn't pick up on a certain clarity, and the, the clarity uh, represented on the report should really be lower or higher. Or uh, One of many, many things could be off. But in essence, in short, uh, you need to look at a diamond. So you can't read numbers. You get an idea. Like in the trade, if somebody is trying to sell me a diamond or discuss a diamond with me, I can get an idea of what it might look like from looking at the certificate. But to purely know how the measurements look, um, and more importantly, how they interact with each other, because that's a whole other thing. It's not just one measurement, but how it interacts with others. Unless I look at the diamond, I can't accurately assess that. And there's one measurement, like, for example, you can have, um, you know, without getting complicated, one measurement could be so out of what, people would say it should be, but then another measurement could be either where it should be or, or out of whack the other way, and the two combine mm-hmm. and compensate for each other. It's, it's such a complicated product that people understandably get confused. People in the trade get confused, and we regularly in the trade have conversations when we look at diamonds like, wow, look at this. This is so much different than I thought it would be. And now I see the diamond versus the report. So people should basically buy a diamond that they find beautiful. Um, like, uh, I don't know, like a chef, a, uh, award-winning chef takes uh, ingredients. If he uses all the ingredients the proper way and he's the award-winning chef, but the dish, the dish doesn't taste good, doesn't matter. It's like ice cream. If you, if you have a perfect me- uh, mixture of ingredients or whatnot for this ice cream and it tastes terrible, it doesn't matter if it was made with the right ingredients or by an award-winning dessert creator or whatnot. It's not tasteful to you. So people should look at a diamond, and if they think it's beautiful, it doesn't matter what the report says. They see it as beautiful. 
they should go for it, and especially if it's in their budget. If not, then they should they could see if they can stretch the budget a bit, or if not, they have the right to ask the merchant to show them some other options because that's one of the beautiful things with all the diamonds out there. There are options, so there's there's ways to to adjust for that and um, for the budget. And we mentioned that before, bring down the uh, clarity, right. for example. So. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to you have to see the diamond, no matter what, no matter what the statistics say on the grading report. It's really imperative for the right choice to be able to see them, and I get that because I've seen diamonds that, like you described, everything on paper sounds wonderful, mm-hmm. but what doesn't show up is maybe some some cloudiness due to strong fluorescence. Mm-hmm. or just something that's a little bit off, and it's a surprise either way. It could mm-hmm. be, it could go in the favor of the diamond, and it, sometimes mm-hmm. it just looks awful. So, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. And mm-hmm. I feel like I understand, I understand the appeal of being able to control your purchase, being able to have choices. And I'm talking more about the online shopping with um, a lot of the companies that have gotten really big and people who've purchased their engagement stones. And it's, it's funny, I don't, I don't like to tell them mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that maybe they didn't get the best deal, but a lot of times they don't because proportions are off or just like you said, it, it looked great on paper, but in person there's something just a little bit off, and those are the kind of things that they won't, they won't know mm-hmm. unless, unless they see it and unless they're working with someone right. who can, 100%. you know, direct them with their, their best interest at, in mind. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally completely agree. agree with you. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Quick, yeah. quick, quick story. I deal with a store out west, and their customers here in New York. So they asked me, "Can you deal with the customer?" They went. They um, they, they looked at a diamond by me, but um, they're not sure, and they bought something online, and they are within a thirty day return policy period. They're not sure about it, so. Mm-hmm. They, I said, sure, I have that kind of relationship with the store. So the customer came to me, said, um, you, guys are, uh, you guys being me and the store, I'm offering the diamond uh, through, you guys, the stone is so expensive. Why is it so expensive? So um, he gave me the, the weight, the shape, or the color, clarity of his stone. So I looked in my inventory, found a diamond that, that was a completely different weight, but the same shape, color, clarity, weighed his diamond in front of him so he could see on the scale there was a weight I weighed my diamond in front of him. And then what I did was sat him down. I didn't talk about certificates or anything. I basically took the two diamonds. Now his diamond was say, for example, carrot and a half round, H color, uh, SI one. Okay, clarity doesn't figure into this conversation, but uh, again you'll see why in a moment. But his color it was his stone was a carrot and a half H. I have in my inventory, a car and a half eye color. So I um, looked at his H color. Now, again, the lab does make uh, mistakes. He bought this diamond, GIA certified, just like mine. Both stones, no fluorescence, nothing to affect the color in that regard. And I took the diamonds, did sort of like the shell game type thing. I mixed them up, put them down in front of him on a white piece of paper, which white surface, you can accurately see color. Put them down, and I said to him, pick your diamond. And he picked my diamond. 
And I weighed it and I showed him. And he said, oh, okay. So I did it again. I said, pick your diamonds. I mixed them up, put the diamonds in front of him. He picked my diamond. He said, why does that keep happening? And I said, and, and long and short, why did it happen? Because his H color that he bought online was really like a really good J color. So it was almost uh-huh. two full colors lower. So it was, his H color was darker than my eye color. And basically that uh, when people buy online and if they have nothing to compare it to, they have a, a diamond, they have a paper, they usually can assume. I mean, the GIA, they make some mistakes, but for the most part, they're, they're right on target. But, um, but what, where it comes into play is, A, suddenly the price that the store was asking him didn't seem so unreasonable. The diamond he was buying became very outrageously priced online. And I said to him, you know, in the future, this is a beautiful diamond, Karen, a half. Maybe in the future you want to trade up to a larger diamond. You would trade this diamond in, uh, possibly. He said, well, yeah, down the road, you know, maybe um, if I'm successful, I'll I'll, uh, buy my wife a bigger diamond, trade this in. I said to him, that's where it would make a difference. Because now you have a diamond that basically doesn't match the paper. So you have a diamond that on paper says H color, but you really have a good J color. And pricing-wise, it was thousands less in, wow. in price. So when he went to trade that in, nobody would give him the money for an H color when he had a J color. And that would have been, I don't know, say, for example, five years down the road, ten years down the road. It would have really hurt. And he said to me, and that's where I'll wrap it up, is he said to me, wow, if I didn't have you to work with and the diamond that you showed me to compare this to, I would never know I had a, a, a J color or almost a J color or a good J color because I, I have a paper that says H, but it really, and, wh- and why is that? And I said, online, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily get the benefit. You get to see the stone in person. It sure is a 30-day return policy. I'm all for that. I think um, online merchants need to have that. People need to know that when they, they make a choice, it's an important choice, not just for money, but otherwise, but they make the choice. They need to know they have some breathing room. But still, if he had sat on this diamond, looked at it, he would have thought, oh, it's an H. Cullen. You get the point. So it's really right. it's important to work with somebody you trust and have comparison and whatnot. So, yeah, that's great advice. And I hope that anybody listening is open to taking that and just being open to understanding that what the paper says isn't always true. Right. It isn't always true, and it's open to interpretation. And colors, like clarities, aren't finite points on a number line, for example. there You can have five H colors, for example. They'll all look slightly different because the color is a range. You can have good H's, lower H's. Same with clarity. So they right. really need to look. Yeah. So, And they could spend all this time and get confused, but basically... They, there's other considerations too. I'm, I'm cautiously not trying to get too long-winded, but there's other considerations too about proportion, vertical uh, proportion versus horizontal. But basically, what all it comes down to, what's all on the paper and all gemologically stated, basically just comes down to the diamond. And so people need to just mm-hmm. look at the diamond and go, I think that's pretty. That's the one I I want to to give the person I'm intending to marry, or that's the one I want to wear, if it's a self-purchase, for example. That's the one that makes me happy. That's the one that's pretty. And put aside the other um, 
things, those things being measurements of, of facets and things like people get so hung up. And unfortunately, I've, I've heard stories so often of people seeing and holding the perfect diamond for them, but they get so lost on, on judging the measurements and this and the, the, the crown height and all things that really don't matter, that they actually pass up the opportunity to buy the diamond that is perfect for them. And it's mm-hmm. so sad to hear these things. They had it in their hands and they let it go because they didn't recognize it because they got tripped up with all the gemological terminology and, and, and the false impression that, the, that that's important. It is important, but it translates to how the diamond and how the diamond looks. And so it's look and budget. And it's simple as that. I, I tell uh, people, people, I'm in the business almost 30 years, people who hold the diamond for the first time, they have as much experience as I do. Because basically, if they think it's a beautiful diamond they're holding, they're right. And if they think it's an ugly diamond, they're right. Mm-hmm. You, uh, uh, if that makes sense. Every, it you know, absolutely does. Yeah. 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 So over the last five, ten years, there's been an interest in alternative gemstones for engagement rings. Mm-hmm. And being a gemologist, one, and also understanding that engagement rings take a big beating, they need a stone that's going to withstand daily wear for, Mm -hmm. you know, the lifetime of the ring. Diamonds having been established as top of the tier as far as hardness, having that property in their favor, Mm -hmm. in your opinion, what are some of the other attributes that make diamonds appealing over a colored gemstone that may not hold up to daily wares as well as a diamond? Well, certainly hardness is, is one. Basically, hardness is measured on a, uh, a, a scale called Mohs, M-O-H-S, and it's a 1 to 10 scale, diamond being 10. They say diamond is the world's hardest surface, and that's uh, correct. It is a 10 out of 1 to 10, uh, hardness being resistant to scratching. So diamond scratches, diamond can cut diamond, as they say. Diamond can scratch diamond. That is, without mentioning Mohs, that's the Mohs scale right there. So a diamond mm-hmm. can scratch a diamond. So uh, basically, long and short, is uh, a diamond being a 10 on the scale can scratch another diamond or anything that's on the Mohs hardness scale that's a 10 or lower. So a 10 all the way down to 1 can be scratched by a diamond. So if you have a stone, um, I think I think talc is very soft, um, like a three, for example. And so anything above the three can scratch talc, but nothing below the three of talc can scratch talc, but talc can scratch two and one, if you know what I mean. So diamond 10 can scratch 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You get the picture. Anything like that, right. whatever is a five, and scratch four and below, but, but oh, five and below, but not above five. So, right. yeah, so hardness does help, but diamonds do sometimes get chipped and broken and whatnot for, um, well, various reasons. That's also potentially another topic as well, but the inclusions we spoke about, one of the inclusions you find in diamonds sometimes is, um, they call them feathers. There's faint cracks within the diamond. Sometimes they're totally enclosed within the diamond. Sometimes they reach the surface of a diamond, sometimes it's just below. If you hit the diamond just the right way, not in all cases, and usually doesn't happen, but if it, one in a million shot, you hit the diamond the right way, you can make that crack spread and mm-hmm. shoot the crack through the stone. The piece can break off or not, but that doesn't happen a lot. Certainly there are softer diamonds that 
wear is not as, as a uh, wearing in a being mounted in a ring is not as as good of a, an idea. The diamonds that uh, there are stones that are not as practical, like emeralds, for example, very soft. Um, mm-hmm. Give an emerald to a, a stone setter and tell him to put it into a ring. He'll look at you funny because he'll. <laughs> I had had that once. A uh, store of uh, one of my store uh, customer uh, customers wanted um, a emerald mounted in a ring, and I went to my setter and I walked in and I prefaced this. I said, "Please don't be angry at me, but I have a stone to be set." And he said, "Okay, well, no big deal. What?" I showed him the ring. He said, "Okay, where's the stone?" I brought out an emerald. And he looked at me funny. That's because an emerald's so soft. It doesn't take a beating very well. Sort of like um, opal, another soft stone. But diamond, mm-hmm. wear-wise, very durable. Um, why else should somebody buy a diamond? The, the, the history behind it. Diamonds have been given for, for many, many years as a, a symbol of, of enduring love, um, forever, marriage, whatnot. And it's not wrong if somebody wants to get uh, engaged with a sapphire. What, um, or another stone, um, because again that comes out to preference. But what is not as favorable is the the, the some stones are softer than others. Without getting too complicated, they're not uh, as well designed to be worn in a ring. Maybe like an emerald can go into an earring, for example. An earring certainly doesn't take as much beating as a ring potentially can. And rings take mm-hmm. more beatings, and people realize, you know, you grab a door handle, funny, or even normally, and it can take a beating, gets banged, whatever. But um, diamonds have just a beautiful sparkle. They're a wonderful way to celebrate life's special moments. Um, the way they're, they're formed in the earth, um, there, there's, again, without getting complicated, it, the chance of a diamond coming from the innermost part of the earth to the surface as a diamond is very rare. The diamond has to travel up from the innermost part of the earth through the layers of the earth at the right speed. Um, and each, at each level, there's different pressure and different temperatures. And the diamond can't go too fast or too slow through the levels. Um, the, the, the pressure for a certain amount of duration has to be the right uh, pressure, the right temperature, etc. And the diamonds that reach the, the surface are pretty rare. And I liken that to two people. They're born, they have their lives, and then the conditions exist for them to, to meet, come together, fall in love. So I like to think that the diamond, where its formation was a long process that was very tedious, uh, is, is, is like people meeting. People are born, birth is... Being a father, I, I know, is not a guaranteed thing. Uh, you know, thank God I have a healthy son. But um, baby's creation is not a guaranteed thing, a healthy baby. But then you have a life, and there's, of course, all the things being considered being a parent and bringing people to adulthood. And then they meet somebody else, and conditions have to be right. They might meet somebody. They don't. They fall in love. They fall out of love, etc. So for people to get to the point where they're getting engaged, it's very special, and diamonds have, I think, a similar path, and I think the diamonds celebrate that very nicely, and you're a very pretty stone. I could go on and on with this, too, because like diamonds being complicated, the answers could potentially be complicated in a nice way, but um, they could get very long. (laughs) So Uh I hope that makes sense. It does. I love your comparison. I think that's so special. I don't know that much about the formation or the geology geological conditions under which diamonds are brought to the surface, that's amazing. I didn't know any of that. So Mm -hmm. correlating the specific conditions under which a diamond 
comes to the surface and two people, the chances of two people meeting, is, uh, that's such a special correlation that you make. I really like that. And Thank it you. is true. And, and diamond mm-hmm. is, a, is a perfect, very small but in, important representation of that special union. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's I, cool, I Mark. I like that. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I'm glad you do. Yeah. I'm glad you do. Because diamond's, diamond's, journey, diamond's journey is remarkable. Same with people. Yes, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is the best shape for a diamond? Is there okay. one that's better than others? No, uh, actually, and it's it's not being uh, smart or anything, and uh, it's not meant to be, but basically the best shape for a diamond is the one that the person finds to be the prettiest, the one that they like. Mm-hmm. So there really, there really isn't. Um, again, it's like the vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream argument. Some people like vanilla. I mean, I like chocolate, love chocolate. I don't care for vanilla as much as I do chocolate. So people who love mm-hmm. vanilla will say, well, too bad. I, I like vanilla. Well, I like chocolate. So basically, it's the, there's, there's unique benefits to each. Uh, there's a unique visual appeal to each. And there's even unique ways that the different diamonds could be set. But that's also, that's beyond the ring, and that's another conversation. But, um, but long and short is what people find pretty. Some people like ovals. Some people like rounds. Some people like cushion cuts. There is no best. Um, they all can be mounted into a ring, and um, they mean something different to, to different people. So there's mm-hmm. no fast rule with that. Okay. Along with that whole concept of people choosing alternative gemstones over diamonds, a lot of that came about with the development of the Kimberley process. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to us a little bit better? Even I'm not as familiar with it as I would like to be, so I, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what you say about it. Okay. Well, the Kimberley process is a process that was started by the diamond industry. Hey, thanks so much again for listening and a couple quick notes. I know you could probably hear in the background noises of an afternoon commute in New York City, which I think makes the episode even cooler. And where you can find Mark, he is on Facebook at Mark Knobloch, and that's Mark with a C, K-N-O-B-L-O-C-H on Facebook. He's on Instagram at MK Jewelry Stylist. As a matter of fact, he is an avid photographer on the side and posts daily expressions from city life, work life, nature, wonderful photos. So if you'd like a quick five-minute escape, visit his feed on Instagram. I promise you won't be disappointed. He's also on Twitter, so give him a shout out. Let him know you heard about him and enjoyed the episode. And that's at AKI Diamonds on Twitter. Thanks again, and come back next week for the conclusion of our interview. Cross-check your earring backs and safety clasps. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.